Today's scripture is from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 19 through 27. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which food was for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for, me, for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel, counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, greetings, church. My name is Chad Lewis, and I want to begin our message today by sharing with you a simple philosophy of ministry. It's three points, and it's going to directly tie into the passage. But the first point that I have for my personal philosophy of ministry is God is at work in his world. God is at work in his world. All right. And then number two is that God invites us to participate in his work. So it's through participation. And then finally, this work is founded in and fueled by communion with God. And so it seems like a pretty simple philosophy of ministry and of life. And there are a lot of hazards with this and a lot of difficulty in following. The first, God is at work in his world. Quite often we look around the world and we think, where is God? Has he abandoned this? Is he present? Does he see this? Does he see this? And then we go to a personal level. It's like, is God really at work in my life? Or are there things in my world that he's, he's moving? And if we look with eyes of faith instead of earthly eyes, we can, we can see things that seem small and slow at times. But this is often the work of God that he does work in these ways. So the second thing that's, that's hard to believe sometimes is that God invites us to participate in his work. So we have this work before us. And God is doing it. He's the initiator, and he invites us to come along with it. And quite often we think, well, why would God want to use me? Why does God invite me to participate in his work, lowly me? Or sometimes we think, I, I just don't know. I can't see, so I'm just going to sit back. And I, I, 
I don't know. And then finally, I say that this work that God has called and invited us to is fueled by and founded in communion with him. We have to say, it's not by compulsion. I don't just look around and say, this has to be fixed, and I do it in my own flesh, and then I'm doing what's right in my own eyes. I want to see the doors that God has to open for me, that, that he opens for me, listen to the Spirit's voice, move and live life and see what, what he brings along my path. But these are all difficult things that take place in our life. And when we think about Daniel chapter 4, we're seeing a story in the middle of Daniel's life. King Nebuchadnezzar is established in his rule and reign. And when we think about uh, some things jumped out to me this week as I, I was studying this passage. This is the only instance in Daniel's middle life that we have recorded. So I was thinking, well, what happened the other 20 plus years? Probably mundane life, the ordinary life that many of us live day in and day out. And what do we do in those mundane aspects of life? Well, we seek God's face. It says in the scripture in Daniel 6 that when he was about to be thrown in the lion's den for praying to God, that he would pray three times a day like he always did. So we know that he's rooted in the scriptures. He's praying to God. He's living a life that's been invited to follow God. And that's what he's doing. He's a faithful dude. And so here we have this event, and what I want to do is take a look at Daniel's response today specifically to King Nebuchadnezzar and see what we can learn from that as well. Daniel lived in a state of preparedness, and we are called to do the same. And um, quite often it, it is the mundane, ordinary aspects of life which make up most of our lives. And we keep waiting sometimes for the next big thing, the next big thing. It's like, man, if God would do something big, if he'd do something big, then I would jump up on the carousel and I would jump and I'd scream and preach. And then I'd get on one of those horses that has wings and I'd fly off and then there'd be a miracle and then people would bow down. And I was making that up stream of consciousness and that's why it sounded like that. But it's like, no, it's meeting your neighbor, giving a cold cup of water to someone who's thirsty, praying and seeking God's face. Sharing how Jesus has changed your life to an unbeliever. These are the aspects of life that so often we, we uh, underestimate and we, we miss out on so much because of that. Well, let's recap the story. The portion we read, there's a, a part before that. And what we see is actually this is written by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and portions of, of this are written in Aramaic. And so he is attesting that this is a true story. And he's saying, this is what happened to me. So Nebuchadnezzar's established, probably middle age. He's still got some years to go ahead of him. We'll see uh, at the end of the chapter. But he's comfortable, and everything's good. And he's, he's built this empire, and he has this dream, and it really troubles him. In this dream, a big, huge tree grows. It's reaching the sky. People can see it from all over the place. The birds come and nest in the tree. We see wild beasts are just chilling in the shade. There's fruit. And it's just like, man, this is big. This is powerful. And then as the dream goes on, this holy one, a watcher, comes down and declares this message. Cut down the tree. Strip off the leaves. Scatter the fruit. Leave it to the stump. And so this is disturbing to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then it goes on further in the dream. It says, let him be like a beast in the field and let the dew of heaven wet him. And it's like, what's going on here? And so he wakes up, and he's disturbed, which is quite often in that culture they put a lot of stock in dreams. And 
And so he's just there and he calls in all his wise men, the Chaldeans, the enchanters, the astrologers, and they come in, he shares the dream with them, and they don't have anything for him. So he's still distressed. And he's like, well, I'll call in Daniel. And so he calls in Daniel, and this is what the final declaration, why this will take place, and then we'll look at Daniel's response. In verse 17, it says, this is why this is taking place. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end, this is the reason, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And so it's like, you're prideful, you think that you're in charge, you think you're, you're ruling and reigning, but you're about to be brought low. So Daniel's called in as a last resort, and here we see Daniel in a state of preparedness. Called in, he didn't know he's going to be called in, but here he comes. And this is his response. And the first thing I want to look at, and this is in your notes, is Daniel's compassion. Daniel's compassion. As I was reading this week, I thought initially maybe there's a lot of self-preservation in line for Daniel. That's why he's being extra compassionate. But we see he's already lived faithfully throughout all these years of his life. He's faced death by the hand of the king. He's already been ripped from his own culture and his family. And he's, he's just rooted and grounded. And what we see here is his response is one marked with compassion. And then we think about who is he showing compassion to? It's easy to show compassion to someone who is loving. It's easy to show compassion to someone we care for quite often, who's been trying really hard. But it is so difficult quite often to show compassion to knuckleheads. That's what the scriptures teach, knuckleheads. It's in the original language. What do we do? What can we do in our heart? And we can try to muster up our own compassion, and then we get a spiritual hernia, and we're like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. What do we do? How can we be compassionate? Well, let's remember first, who is King Nebuchadnezzar? What has he done? He's a king that has destroyed so much. He's pillaged, he's kidnapped people, ripped them from their ham families, their culture. He's an oppressive king. He set up death chambers to say, if you don't bow down, you're going to burn to death. You'll be death by cremation. And then even, as we saw last week, with this 90-foot, nine-wide golden image that he sets up in the plain of Dura, think about all the finances that were put into that. And he's looking around and seeing people who are oppressed and people who may be going hungry and all these different aspects, and he's wasting the nation's resources on this 90-foot statue. And those are just a, a few of the things that he's about. Extremely prideful, maniacal king. And so the earthly response that I thought of, Daniel come in, he's called in, and he's, he's just like, King, what do you expect, man? You're about to be brought low. You oppress me, you oppress my friends. You are evil and wicked, and you're about to get ready to eat some grass, bro. Better get some salad dressing, because this is all you get. But that's not his response at all. We say saying Daniel's response, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And I hear these words, may my Lord, I'm sorry, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. So the first thing he's saying with compassion, may it be that this it would be beneficial and it would be best if this was for your enemies and for those who hate you but it's not. 
And later we see in verse 27, this compassionate response. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. It's like he's pleading with him. Let it be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. There's compassion there. Daniel's taking a posture of even being a friend to Nebuchadnezzar, though Nebuchadnezzar was no friend to him. And he's bidding him. And so the question is, how do we have compassion toward those who we think deserve no compassion? And the first thing I'd like to say is that it's not hard. It's not hard. It's impossible in and of ourselves. But so much of the Christian life is like that. God says, this isn't possible in and of yourself, but I've given you a new heart. I've put my Holy Spirit within you. Seek my face and I'll do the work in your heart. It's a posture of humility and surrender to say, Lord, I don't have compassion. Fill my heart with compassion for this person. About 10 years ago, I was pastoring at Sojourn, and there was a young man who's long since moved away, and I'd gotten a, he, he was actually a seminary student and also in some leadership development, and got a call that his wife had to be taken from the house because he had been violent. And what ended up happening, it was uncovered that this had been taking place for years. And so I get the call, Chad, would you go talk to this guy and pray with him, give him next steps, tell him that he's not going to be able to see his wife until she feels safe and we're taking her to a safe place for a while. Initially, my flesh reaction, my reaction in that moment was like, yeah, I'll go see that guy. Yeah, I'm going to show him what some pain feels like. That's not a godly response in itself. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, I don't have compassion for this guy. He's tricked us. He's said all the right things. He's done all these things, sat in my classes, talked a good game. And here he is with this pattern of abuse that's been held secret. And so I'm going over to his house and knocking on the door. I don't know what I expect getting there, if he's going to try to do whatever. And so I knock on the door, but the whole time I'm praying, Lord, in your mercy, fill my heart with compassion and may I be a minister of you and your gospel. Amen. So I walk into the house and he's sitting on the floor. He's actually hitting the floor because he's upset at himself, some other things. And I enter that situation and by God's grace, he gave me a heart of compassion. I'll share some more of that story in just a few minutes, but isn't that difficult? Isn't that, that one of the hardest things in the world, to show compassion to someone who has hurt other people? And I do want to take a, a quick side note and say, showing compassion doesn't mean you give people a pass or, or not have boundaries. We want to continue to put up good boundaries, have integrity, and say, this can't be encroached on. But we want to say, Lord, in your mercy, may I proceed with a heart of compassion. And so it isn't shocking that Daniel, as he lived in a state of preparedness, as he sought the Lord's face, as he grew in his faith, he was able to step into the situation and be compassionate. And so I think about us here in 2019. There's a lot of opposition in the world. There's a lot of opposition in our workplaces and all sorts of places. And what does it look like for us to be people of compassion? What does it look like for God to work in our hearts in such a way that we can step into any situation. And as we depend on him, he gives us hearts of compassion that mirror his heart. 
And that doesn't mean we don't stand strong. That doesn't mean we don't share the truth. We do those things. But it is rooted in a heart that is for God and for other people, wanting the best for them. Because that's the heart of God, isn't it? He's saying, choose life. Choose life. Don't follow the path of destruction. Come to me. I will fill your soul. What's a profit of man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's foolishness. Come to me. And that's the bidding of God. We see the heart of God in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, part of the triune God. And we see that as he's about to march to the cross, about to be betrayed by the very people he came to save. This is a scene that Luke writes in Luke 19. And when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. He wept over it. And imagine before I read the rest of this, this verse here, Jesus weeping, weeping, tears streaming down his face as he looks with longing towards those who are about to reject him. He wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. The heart of our God is that we would come to him, that we would know peace with our creator, that we would live in peace with one another. And this is God's heart that we are called to embody. And if Daniel wouldn't have had compassion in this moment, I wonder if the king would have even heard him. The truth is that we do show compassion, but we don't show compassion and not show truth. We have to declare truth as well. So that gets us to our second point, Daniel's candor, his truthfulness. And this is the interpretation he, he comes out and says. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've been oppressive. You're going to be driven from people. In this madness, you're going to live like an ox or a beast. You're going to eat the grass of the ground for seven periods of time. And the, the dew from heaven is going to wet your back. And this was probably not an encouraging message for King Nebuchadnezzar. And I wondered, as I say this week, was that a hard message to deliver? I'm sure it was. All the other wise men, everybody else came in, and, and they could have taken some shots at this dream, but they don't. And here's Daniel, and he speaks the truth with compassion and love, but he shares, this is what's going to happen. I wish it were for your enemies, but it's for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Truth without compassion is rarely received. And compassion without truth, though, at instances, it can be helpful. But without truth in the long term, it's, it's not going to have the full effect. We have to be people of word and truth, love and truth as we go forward. And so we get back to this young man in seminary that I was talking about. So I'm sitting there on the floor with him in his home. And so I'm having compassion by God's grace. And here comes the truth that comes out. It's like, buddy, this has been revealed. This is the grace of God. And this is hope. There's hope in this. But there are many things that are going to have to change. The first thing that I can think of is that you need to withdraw from seminary. Because you can't, you can't train to be in the pastorate with this hidden stuff going on for so long. That doesn't mean it's not off the table for the future. But right now, you've got to work on this. And there were parents that had to be called and authorities that had to be called. And counseling to be enrolled in. And to say, buddy, we can't do leadership development right now. You've got to put all your focus in on this. This violence is coming out. 
has been for years. It's been hidden. You can paint hope, but you also have to paint the reality. It says, this is going to be a long journey, buddy. You didn't get here in a day. This has been years in the making. And it's going to take probably some years if you follow God. And there can be great restoration for you. But it's going to be a long road. We can speak with compassion. We can speak with truth. And that's what Daniel does. And then we see that this does happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life. This is 12 months later. He's walking around. He's looking at all the stuff that he's done. He's like, look what I've done. Look what the kingdom I've built. And then a voice from heaven speaks. And then boom. King Nebuchadnezzar goes insane. And as I read it this week, I thought, man, this kind of seems like it's from a Disney movie, doesn't it? And it's like, man. But then I looked into it, and there's actually a medical term for thinking you're an ox or a, a cow. It's called boanthropy. B-O-A-N-thropy. That's how you deal with it. You can look that up. And so this is what happens. In the 1940s, an Old Testament uh, theologian was able to see this firsthand. He went to an insane asylum. They don't call them that anymore. That's horrible. I don't know why I called it that. A, uh, an institution for people in need. I don't know what the term is. We'll strike that. Just, I need your compassion right now. Compassion. But what happened is he went and he, there was a young man who was diagnosed with boanthropy. And this young man, 20 years old, he's in his 20s, good health seemingly, but he would not stay inside. He roamed the grounds. He ate grass. He drank out of muddy puddles. They'd have to put out clean bowls of water for him to drink. He couldn't take care of himself. And there are really instances where the mind has snapped and this is what takes place. The guy ate grass. He wouldn't eat with the other people in the asylum. And even Carl Jung states that this about Nebuchadnezzar, that, that he had a complete regressive degeneration because he'd overreached himself. And so thinking about what went on in his mind, he snaps, and this is what, what takes place. The voice of God acted like a trigger, and he could no longer resist what was pent up with inside him. And so this judgment takes place. And we see in lesser uh, instances this taking place in, in different people's lives. And I, contemporary of Daniel, the prophet Jeremiah, writes it like this. And I thought, this is a perfect picture of Nebuchadnezzar and a perfect picture of Daniel contrasting right beside each other. Jeremiah 17 says this. This is what the Lord said, says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws his strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. We'll read on in just a second, but thinking about this. The one who puts hope in themselves, trusts flesh, and is turned away from God. They're like a shrub in the desert. No root system. They can be plucked up and tossed to and fro. There's, there's no hope there. They can't even see when prosperity or good comes, and they won't. But here's a picture of Daniel. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. 
So in Daniel's compassion, in his honesty, and in the life he lives, he's a picture of this tree that we can be ones who put our hope and trust in the Lord. And we're like trees planted by streams of water. And when the drought comes, our root system is strong and it's getting sustenance from another source, otherworldly source, and it's from God himself. And even when the drought comes, we can bear fruit by God's grace. And as this fruit is born, that others can see it and say, how is this happening? How in the trials and tribulations can this person bear fruit? How in these circumstances can this person bear fruit? And we can attest and say, it's God. It's what God is doing. It's what he's done. And this is what we're called to be. Trusting in ourselves will not lead us to life. Trusting to God gives us everything. This biblical account doesn't tell us how Nebuchadnezzar reacted to this interpretation. It doesn't tell us how Daniel reacted to Nebuchadnezzar's reaction. It's not there, and I wish, I wish we had a lot more pages on this, this uh, story. But I believe, just like the other parts of Scripture, it's inspired and it's providential, right? And so I think the important thing to learn here is that Daniel being faithful, the success for Daniel was not based on the reaction of Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't based on how he was feeling at the moment. It was based on him just following the Lord. And a principle we have from this is that we can't rely on people's first reactions. I remember counseling a man for years who'd been unfaithful to his wife, made some bad business decisions and hid it for a long time. And it seemed like he was on the up and up. And he was coming to me for counsel, had found some housing within a group, group house with some men. And things were going well. He was saying the right answer. He just seemed sincere. And then lo and behold, it was revealed uh, that over the months that I'd been helping him, he'd been lying to me every single time. And he was with this other woman. And it's just like, whoa, I thought I was a really good counselor. I thought I was being effective in this guy's life. And the truth is I couldn't rely on his reaction that, yeah, everything is really good. Everything's good. Because it wasn't good. And the truth is, it wasn't up to me to change his heart. All I could do is give him the truth of God. I could give him compassion. I could listen. And I could point him the ways and say, hey, this path leads to destruction. This path leads to life, man. Come follow us. We'll, we'll help you down this path. But ultimately, he's responsible for his own soul, just like every one of us are. And I've had other people in counseling situations, and they don't like what I'm saying. And I'm a really nice guy. I don't say many things that are offensive other than insane asylum. I say that, that's very offensive. But I remember talking to certain people and them bristling up and, and just pushing back and just leaving unhappy. Sometimes weeks, months pass and they'd come back and they'd say, Chad, you were right, man. God's right. And, and I'm submitting to God's way. So I don't rely on the first reaction because even if it's bad, God can use it for good. But that's not my job anyway. My job is to bring compassion, to bring truth, and leave the results to God. And that gets us to our last point. Daniel has compassion, he has candor, and then Daniel has counsel. And let's read verse 27 again, because I think it's a very powerful verse. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. 
All good counsel has invitation. And there's a great invitation in this counsel. It's invitation, there's hope in a very bleak situation. His counsel is inviting, renounce your sins, do what's right. Stop oppressing people and live justly. And by God's grace, maybe your prosperity will continue. And let's remember today that the heart of God never changes. And his invitation for us is huge and beautiful. No matter where you are, he knows exactly where you are in life. He knows everything about you, the number of hairs on your head. He knows the secret thoughts and the emotions, all the things that swirl around in you. He sees every good thing you've, you've ever done. And he sees all the sin that you participated in. He sees it all. And he's filled with love and compassion saying, follow me. Come to me. Remember that if you're mine, you're my beloved child, and nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So come and follow me. Set, up, set apart these things that lead to destruction. Renounce the things that won't bring you life. My heart is for life. I am a God of life. Come to me. Come to me. A pastor named Trevor Hudson, he's a South African pastor. He said, when Jesus meets people in the Gospels, he does one of three things, and usually in order. He comes in mercy. Jesus comes in mercy. And Jesus comes in invitation. So here's merciful Jesus, heart of God. He comes in mercy, but he comes inviting. But he also comes with challenges. Mercy, invitation, and challenges. And he says, get rid of that stuff. Come to me. And this is the heart of God. And I was reflecting this week on how it's, it really is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, as it says in Romans. The kindness of God bids us to come forth. And quite often we don't respond. Distress is brought into our lives. And that's a kindness, too, that we could say, life ain't working for me like this. And there's good reason. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to. And may those distresses help us turn our face to God. And I reflected on Daniel's life even this week and thinking without, and there's this total speculation, but I thought, would Daniel have been as close to God if he hadn't have been pulled from his home? If he hadn't have been kidnapped? Would he have been as close to God as he was if he hadn't have had to face death all those years? Would he have been as close to God without the trials? And I don't know, but I, I, would, I would venture a guess and say, I don't think so. It was the very trials that caused Daniel to seek God's face. A famous preacher, Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, put it like this. He says, I, I dare say the greatest earthly blessing is health with the exception of sickness. The greatest earthly blessing is health with the exception of sickness. And then he goes on to say, Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in a minister's library. And many of us have been sick for a long time. And by God's grace, we're still breathing and moving. It's like, Lord, heal us right now. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. But when we think about the comfort that we can bring as we suffer through trials, like 2 Corinthians 1 says, it says, we are comforted by God so that we might comfort others. And Daniel was able to comfort even in this situation 
because he had been comforted by God in the midst of all these traumatic experiences. And this is the grace of God. God's kindness gives warning. He says, flee from this so that you don't have to pay. Christ has paid the wages of sin for us. When warning is not heeded, God kindly brings circumstances that will yield humility and hopefully salvation. And God's kindness gives a picture to all peoples in the world that he is king and we are not. This is his world. God's at work in his world. God invites us to participate in that work. And this work has to be founded in and fueled by communion with him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Seek his face. Hear his voice saying, come, my child. Come to me. Open up the word. Come to me. Get in Christian community. Come to me. Pray. Come to me. Seek my face. Come to me. Battle against the messages of this world that say everything that's contradictory to what is true. Come to me and find rest for your soul. In many ways, Nebuchadnezzar's life is a small picture of a bigger reality. And we think about it this week was just like Nebuchadnezzar was prideful, puffed up, and it led to his fall. But then there was grace. He was restored. And what was he doing by the end of the chapter? Man, he's praising God. God is the God of God, the King of Kings, most high. He raises up who he wants to. He brings low who he wants to. And he's proclaiming the truth about God. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, there was mistrust of God's promises. And there was hubris, hubris and pride that was built and, and grew. And from that, they rebelled against God, just like we have. And from that, in many ways, just like humanity does, they acted like beasts. Did what was right in their own eyes. Cravings of the flesh. Just like we naturally do. And then when there was no hope, no hope, Christ comes, lives a perfect life, and bears the sin of the world. He's raised on the third day, and he reigns on high. And now in humility, blessed are the poor in spirit, when we say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can, and we accept salvation, we are his children now and forevermore. And we participate in this communing life with God. And he gives us this sacred symbol. And he says, to remember, his body was broken for you and for me. And his blood was spilled for you and for me. And this new covenant that's even talked about in Jeremiah 31. Is that he's planted within us a new heart. He has loved us with an everlasting love. And he asks us to participate and strive to enter the rest that he has for us. And so when we come today to communion, what I want you to do is sense, by God's grace, Lord, help us sense the invitation you have for me. As many people as there are in this room, there can be that many invitations because God knows everything about you to turn from sin, to trust in that you're his beloved, to in this relationship that you've been showing compassion but not sharing truth, to share truth. Some of you may be in this situation where you've had no compassion. You're beating someone down to say, Lord, give me a gracious heart and fill me with compassion so that I can resemble you to these people. There's hundreds of invitations that God has today. 
And we break off a piece of the bread, we dip it into the juice or wine, whatever your conscience permits, and we say, Lord, help us to listen and help us to follow and obey. If you're not a believer here today, we're so thankful that you're here, and we would invite you not to partake in communion, but to come and talk with someone, a leader. And let us tell you about Jesus even before that. Let's just hear your story, hear stuff about you, and even what brought you here, because you're not here by mistake. There are no mistakes. And as we respond in worship and song, we want to just continue to declare, God, you are the God most high. You're the center of the universe. May you be the center of my life. And let's yield with humility and surrender as we sing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty of this story. We thank you for Daniel's faithfulness to you. We thank you for his heart. We thank you for the truth that he shared and the counsel and the invitations that he shared with a wicked king. And we thank you for your work, even in the most vile of people, Lord. And I pray that as we have heard from your word, as we've sung songs today, and as we partake in communion and sing some more, that you would help us sense the invitations you have for us and that we wouldn't walk away from this place without determining, Lord, I will accept this invitation. I will walk in faith, Lord. Help me. Help me. And as we cry out to you, Lord, and as we're humble, and as we seek to surrender, that you would meet us in this place as you promised to do and do beyond our greatest imagination a work in our heart because that is who you are and that is what you do. You are a gracious God, our loving God. You've given us everything and you've invited us to be with you for all eternity. May we be a people who commune with you in the big ways, in the small ways, in the morning hours, in the noon days, in the evenings and night. And acknowledge that you are king and you give us all that we need. We ask this in Christ's precious name, our Savior. Amen.